Since the previous Mishnah discussed a circumstance where the Pariches, the curtain which was in the base Hamikdash, became Tomei, the following Mishnah goes a bit sidetracked to go into the exact details of the Pariches, how exactly it was made, and its incredible size. Now that there is a debate about it, we are going to assume that we are referring to the Pariches which separates between the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the most inner room where the Oran HaKodesh is, and the Kodesh which is the out of the room in the Mishnah which contains other utensils, and there were actually two curtains, one in front of the other, and now the Mishnah explains what exactly were these curtains made of. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says in the name of Rabbi Shimon, the son of the deputy Kohen Godol, referring to Rabbi Chalino Skanakaranim, Pariches, the curtain of your tefach, was one tefach thick, the width of a fist. That's an extremely thick curtain. It was woven of 72 big threads, which means there are effectively 72 layers which made up this curtain. And each layer, I'll call Nimo Venima, on each of these threads, let's call them, Esim Vabachutin, each of those 72 threads was made up of 24 smaller threads. There are four different types of threads, as the Torah lists, Techeles, Argomon, Tolas, Shani, Sheish, and there were six thin threads of each of these four types. So let's say you would have six thin threads of Techeles, and those were made into one thread in itself. One thread of six smaller threads of Techeles. And you do that for the other three types of threads as well. And then you've now got four thicker threads, each made up of six threads. And then you would thread together those four thicker threads into one even thicker thread. So now you've got one thread which really contains 24 thin threads. So something like that, there were 72 layers of that. Orko arboim amo verochbo esrim amo. Its length was 40 amos and its width was 20 amos. Umishmoin mushtei ribay naseis and it was made of 82 times 10,000. It was made up of 820,000 and the Mishnah is quite vague. It doesn't say 820,000 of what. So either this means that it was made up of 820,000 threads altogether after these 72 layers. Or it means that the cost of each curtain was 820,000 dinar. Be it as it may, we see the vastness and the incredible makeup of the Pariches. And they would make two of them every year. And we're going to understand this to mean that the two curtains which were there, they would replace once a year. And if it became Tomei, then it would take 300 Kurnim to dip it into the mikveh. And in fact, this is even if it didn't become Tomei, once the new Pariches was made, before being put up into the Beis Hamikdash, it had to be purified once again, and that would take 300 Karnim to do so. The Gemara explains that perhaps this is a exaggeration, it's not literally 300 Karnim, it's an exaggeration, but the point is it would take many people, because of the massiveness of this curtain, it would take many Karnim to dip it into the mikveh. Mishnah Karbonis are split into two categories, Kochi Kochim and Kochim Kalim. Kochi Kochim refer to the more holy, the higher level Karbonis, whereas Kochim Kalim refer to the lighter Karbonis, such as a Karban Shalomim, for example. Now it is learnt from Psukim that if Kochi Kochim, the high level Karbonis, become Tomei, then whether they became Tomei inside the Beis HaMikdash or outside of the Beis HaMikdash, they need to be burnt, just like every carbon, but they need to be burnt specifically in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash. Kodjim Kalim can be really burnt anywhere in Yerushalayim. But if Kodjim Kodjim become Tomei, then it has to be burnt inside the Beis HaMikdash in the courtyard. 
However, Midrabbonon, in certain situations where it was a severe level of Tumor, or perhaps if it became Tomei outside of the Besamikdash, so Midrabbonon, they said that it shouldn't be burnt inside the Besamikdash. It could be viewed as a bit of a disgrace, or the like, and therefore they said that it should be burnt outside of the Besamikdash, and it could be burnt really anywhere in Yerushalayim, just like Kodshim Kalim. The question of our Mishnah is how much exactly did the Rabbonon decree, meaning in which situations did they say that it should be burnt outside of the Beis HaMikdosh? Beside Kodshik Kodshim Janitma, the meat of Kodshik Kodshim, which became Tomei, Beim Avatumah, whether it became Tomei from an Avatumah, which is a primary level, a high level of Tumah, such as the Tumah which somebody who touches a dead body has, or the Tumah which certain animals emit when they are dead, then Mivlad HaTumah, whether it became Tomei, from Mivlad HaTumah, which is something which became Tomei by touching an Avatumah. So it's a secondary level of Tumah, because it only became Tomei because it touched a different Avatumah. Then Mivlad HaTumah, whether it became Tomei inside the Beis HaMikdash or outside of the Beis HaMikdash, Beis Shammai, and Beis Shammai say, Hakla Yisarif Bifnim, it should all be burnt inside, just like the Torah says, except for one case. Unless it became Tomei with an Avatuma, a severe level of Tuma, and that occurred outside of the Beis HaMikdosh. So since there are two factors which say that it will be a bigger deal to burn it inside, number one, it's a severe level of Tuma, number two, it became Tomei outside of the Beis HaMikdosh. So burning it inside the Beis HaMikdosh would mean bringing Tuma inside the Beis HaMikdosh. So only in that case did the Rabbonon say that it should be burnt outside. On the other hand, the Basil Omen Basil say pretty much the opposite. Hakoi Sarif Bachutz, it should all be burnt outside. The Rabbonon decreed in all cases that it should be burnt outside of the Beis Hamikdash. Chutz Mishanitma, Bivlad Hatuma Bifnim. Except if it became Tomei with a Vlad Atuma, a low level, secondary level of Tuma inside the Beis HaMikdosh. So in that case, since it's a low level of Tumah, and it's already in the Beis HaMikdosh, so in that case, Rabbanon said that, okay, it can be burnt inside the Beis HaMikdosh courtyard, as the Torah prescribes. Which is Zion, the mission now brings another two different opinions for the same case, where Kodshe Kodjim became Tomei. Rebeliezer says that we don't look at two things. According to Beis and Beis Hillel, we look at two things. Number one, how high is the level of Tumah, and number two, we also look at where it became Tomei. But according to Rebeliezer, we only care about how high the level of Tumah is. And therefore, that which became Tomei with an Avatumah, so that's a high level of Tumah, whether it happened inside or outside of the Samikdosh, it should be burnt outside because it's a high level of Tumah, but that which became Tomei with a low level of Tumah, that is the key factor, whether it happened inside the Beis HaMikdash or outside, it should be burnt inside the Beis HaMikdash because it is a low level of Tumah. And the Rabbonon only decreed on a high level of Tumah. Okay, now we have the exact opposite opinion. Rabbi Akiva says, The place where it became Tomei, that is where you burn it. If it became Tomei inside the Beis HaMikdash, then it is burnt in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash. If it became Tomei outside of the Beis HaMikdash, then it is burnt anywhere in Yerushalayim, just like all Kodshim Kalim. So we pretty much had four opinions, which covered every different option which you could have. Mr. Chetz, the first half of the final Mishnah of the Masechda talks about how after the Korban Tomid, which was the Korban which was brought every single day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, no matter what day of the year, every single day the Korban Tomid was brought, and after slaughtering the Korban and throwing its blood on the Mizbeach, they would take the animal apart and place different parts of the animal, limb by limb, on the ramp of the Mizbeach. 
Mizbeach had a ramp which was 32 amos long and 16 amos wide. And after placing the limbs on the ramp, the Khanim would then leave them there, go to the Lishkas Hagozis, which was one of the chambers in the Beis HaMikdash, and they would say Shema over there. They would recite Kriyas Shema. And then they would come back to the ramp and actually bring up the limbs to the top of the Mizbeach, where they would be offered on the fire of the Mizbeach. And the truth is, this wasn't only done with the Korban Tomid, it was also done with other Korbanis, such as the Korban Musaf. The question is, where on the ramp would they place these limbs? If I Tomid, the limbs of a Korban Tomid, will be placed on the lower half of the ramp, but Mizrach in the east. So in the lower east corner of the ramp, that is where they were placed. There are other Mishnahists which read Bamarov in the west, Bashel Musafin, whereas the limbs of a Korban Musaf if it's a day such as Shabbos or Yom Tov, where Korban Musaf is also brought, those limbs are placed on the lower half of the ramp, on the west side, and of course those Mishnahists which read Bamarov in the beginning part of the Mishnah would read Bamizrach now in the east. Now generally the west side is considered more holy, the Shekhinah is said to be in the west side, and also in the Mishnah, the west side of the ramp of the Mishnah was the side which was nearer to the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Okay, continues the Mishnah. What happens if it's a Rishchodesh? If it's a Rishchodesh, there is also a Korban Musaf of Rishchodesh which is brought. And in this instance, the Sharashi Chadashim, the Korban Musaf, the limbs of a Korban Musaf of Rishchodesh, we're going to read the next part of the Mishnah. Some Mishnahis have different words, but we are going to read it as follows. Those limbs are placed just beneath the Karkov of the Mizbeach, which refers to the part, the part of the Mizbeach where the Karni would actually walk around. The way the Mizbeach was built is that it wasn't just one simple wall on the side of the Mizbeach. Rather, the Mizbeach went up a few amas, and then it went inwards, and then it continued going up. So the Karnim could actually walk around sort of on a higher level. Halfway up the Mizbeach, the Karnim could actually walk on the Mizbeach around it. That was known as the Karkov. And so the Mishnah is saying that from the height of the Mizbeach, where the Karkov is, from that height on the ramp, Upwards, that is where the limbs of the Karban Musaf of Rishchidesh were placed. So pretty much on the top, the upper half of the ramp, or perhaps just below that, they were placed there, and the reason being was that in those days Rishchidesh wasn't fixed, so it could fall out on one of two days, and so in order to announce to people that that day was Rishchidesh, so that they would know, they would put the limbs on the higher part of the Mizbeach, so they were more visible for people to see. Now, ironically, although the past few Prokham haven't really been talking about Shkolim at all, in the second half of the last Mishnah, we now go back to the subject of the Masechta, which is Shkolim. And even then, we're talking about other things as well. Hashkolim, the obligation for everybody to contribute to Machtis HaShekel, the Habikurim. The obligation of Bikurim, which refers to one's first fruit of a tree to ripen, it is an obligation to bring them up to the Beis HaMikdosh, and are given to Karnim. But of course, these two mitzvahs are very much dependent on the Beis HaMikdosh, and therefore, a Nargin and a Abayis, they only apply in front of the Beis HaMikdosh, meaning that after the Beis HaMikdosh was destroyed, these two mitzvahs do not apply anymore. On the other hand, Avalmeister Dogon, but the tithes which need to be separated from grain, such as Trumas, which has to be given to Kernim, Meiserisha, which has to be given to a Levi, and the other various tithes, we're going to see that does apply even without a Beis HaMikdosh, because once Eretz Yisrael received its Kedusha, its holiness and sanctity, so even once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael remained, and so grain which grows there is still obligated in those unique laws of the tithes, or Maitre Behema and the tithe of one's animals, 
the obligation to separate one-tenth of his animals which are born each year and bring them as korbonos and eat them in Yerushalayim. That also applies even without the Beis HaMikdash, meaning the aspect that you have to designate a tenth of one's animals as Maisa Behemah, that applies even without a Beis HaMikdash. Because even when there was a Beis HaMikdash, the halach was that if that animal develops a wound, then it is not brought as a korban, rather it can be slaughtered and eaten. So without a Bismillah, one just has to wait for it to develop a wound. One can't do it himself, he has to wait for it to happen naturally, and then he'd be able to slaughter it and eat it himself. Now the truth is the Gemara does say that later on the Rabbanon said that Maisa doesn't apply at all after the Bismillah was destroyed, because the halacha is that until the animal does develop a wound, it's forbidden to work that animal, or even benefit from the shearings. But if after separating a tenth of all of your animals, that can be a lot of animals. And if you wait around for them to develop, to develop a wound, it's very likely that you might come to actually use those animals, and work them, or shear them. And so Rabban said that it will be better that you don't designate the Maisa at all, once there is no Beis Hamikdash standing. And thirdly, we have a Chayres, firstborn animals which one needs to give to a coin, and it needs to be brought as a korban. Unless it's got a wound, in which case it would be eaten. So since that, again, does not have to be bought as a carbon, ultimately you could wait and then end up eating it. So it applies even without a base hamikdash. All these three things, no bias, they apply whether with a base hamikdash or without. Alright, ends off the msechta, hamakdash shkolim avikurim. One who designates shkolim or bikurim as hekdash, meaning he designates money as shkolim, or he designates fruit as bikurim for the base hamikdash. After the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, so we said earlier in this Mishnah that these mitzvahs do not apply without a Beis Hamikdash. Nevertheless, if one did designate it after the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, Harizekodesh it does become holy. The designation is valid, and you would need to leave those bikurim fruit until they become moldy. And also the money you would have to leave, you wouldn't be able to benefit from it. Rather, you would need to hide it in a particular place and leave it there unused. Now, Rabbi Shimon argues in the case of bikurim. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, "I bikurim kodesh." Enon Kodesh, one who declares Bikurim holy, he designates the first fruit as Bikurim. Enon Kodesh, they do not become holy, the designation is invalid. The reason being that the Torah specifically says that the entire obligation of Bikurim is that Tovi Beit Hashem Aleikecha, that you should bring the fruit to the house of Hashem your God. So the whole mitzvah is dependent on the Beit HaMikdash, even more than the Shkolim because of the Pesukim. And so Rishimon learns from there that the designation is totally invalid if there is no Beis Hamikdash standing. Solik Maseches Shkolim Mazeltov.